Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode's going to start off with me going over some headlines, and then we're going to do our first ever Unofficial Bengals Podcast Roundtable, where myself, Tom McLevy, and Sands are all going to have a conversation about the current state of the Bengals and our reflections on the season and the offseason. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Bengals Headlines Joe Burrow is back in Cincinnati. He's rehabbing. He's watching playoff games with the coaching staff. Did a 20-minute long press conference, which I'm going to go over in a second. So really excited that things are starting to get back to normal for him. And he's ready to start this long journey on starting next year and taking us to the promised land. So regarding the press conference, I always like to go over Joe Burrow's press conferences because he's such a good speaker, very motivated, very self-confident, but yet humble and cool. As always, loving it. Any Joe Burrow is good Joe Burrow for me. And the best quote that came out of it, I think, was when he said, the worst part is over and the fun part begins. Yeah, those first couple weeks after the injury and the surgery, those are tough weeks on the body. And now he's ready to rehab. He's going to be thrown in about another month from now. So it's all going to fall into place and it's back to football and, you know, not thinking about being injured anymore. So that's the key to it all. A lot of bad questions in that press conference. Some of the stuff they were asking him. I mean, we got to get like Zim Huday in that room and a few other, you know, some, some of the Instagram and, and Twitter people might have done better than some of these longtime Bengals writers, to, to be honest with you. You know, they were asking him a lot of questions about the injury and did he watch it and how it felt when it happened. And, you know, that's not stuff anybody wants to go over. You know, that's like you getting into a car accident and someone saying, like, did you see the, the, the traffic cam from your car accident? You know, no one wants to see themselves get hurt like that. That's, that's not good for your confidence and, you know, your mental mindset. So what I liked is after a series of bad questions, Joe Burrow finally said, I'm not going to answer any more questions about the intricacy of the injury. And I don't blame him. You know, guys, there's a plenty of other things you can ask him. You don't have to go dwell on this injury. We all saw what happened. We know the end result of it. We move on. You know, I'd like to see a better job from our, our press, who, for the most part, I like the guys who cover the Bengals, but I think they missed the mark on this press conference, unfortunately. Another quote that came out of it, they were asking him if he's going to be ready for week one. And, you know, that's a tall order coming back from multiple injuries to that same knee. So in reference to the rehab, he was like, that's the goal. I want to be the best at everything I do. You know, whether it's throwing the football, whether it's rehabbing, whether it's being a leader, So he's got that Joe Burrow mindset, and that has not gone away. So that's very encouraging. He endorsed the coaching staff, saying that Zach Taylor is going to be a really, really good coach in the future. So that's good to see that they're on the same page. So Joe Burrow also talked about getting more accurate with his deep ball and working on that in the offseason. And I like that. You know, if you're going to pick on one part of his game that may, may not have been up to par with the rest, you know, it was probably those deep throws. And I think they got on him too much for it. I think that would have come around with more time. Remember, he didn't have a training camp to throw to these guys. And the deep ball is something that you really depend on timing and an individual player's particular way of running routes. So I'm not making excuses for him. It's something that he's going to work on. And I'm sure the deep ball in the future is not going to be an issue. Nor did I really feel it was an issue last year. You know, he had such a good season that the critics and media, they try to find things to point out that he wasn't as efficient at. And I guess that was one area that was a little bit lower than the rest. So here we are having the deep ball conversation. But I don't think that's going to be a conversation for the future. And again, his goal is to play week one. So let's hope that he's fully ready. I don't want to see him get out on the field unless he's totally ready to do so. But if that's the case, 
It's going to be a good year in 2021. All right, so let's move on to some of the coaching changes. Jim Turner is out and Frank Pollock is in, and I can tell the fans, the coaches, the players, everyone is excited about this. There were a lot of complaints about Jim Turner from last season, and you know I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know what's true and what's not true. A lot of people didn't really like the way that he went about things, and it was said that he had his favorites. So you almost saw that in the people that he played from week to week, but I'm not going to comment on that. I mean, I guess I just did comment on it, but let's move forward. Let's talk about Frank Pollock. So Joe Mixon is very excited because he had his best year under Pollock. Billy Price had a great year under Pollock. You know, these are guys that are really excited about having him back because they're familiar with him. He's going to be a run game coordinator, which I think is a great idea for an offensive line coach because he's involved with the blocking schemes and he's, he's really in the know about all those guys on the line and what they can do and what they can't do. And he bases a lot of things on guys' body types. And I like that quote from him, that not everyone has the same type of body, so you have to coach everyone slightly differently. So the fact that he's going to be helping out in the run game, I think it's going to make a big difference in our run game. And you combine that with Joe Burrow back in action, and now we're a dual-threat offense. You know, you don't know how we're going to attack you now if we have this run game really up to speed. And then also, Coach Pollock said that he likes to find a few things and master them. And I think that's one of the secrets to football. When you have this really massive playbook, it's hard to master all of the individual plays and all the individual concepts in there. Whereas if you find a few things that you do really well and just focus on mastering them and making them top of the league, you're going to be hard to stop. Look at the Titans. They don't have this expansive playbook. A lot of the times, they're just giving the ball to Henry with you know a couple different run schemes that they do, and look at the success they have. That's just a small example, but I do like the philosophies that he's talking about already, and I'm excited to have him aboard again. So Nick Eason is out as the defensive line coach, and they brought in Marion Hobby from the Dolphins. He did a good job down there in Miami. That defense was playing really well. The defensive line was strong, getting a lot of pressures. They were highly ranked in the league. So this feels like it's a really good coaching move. You know, you can't blame everything on Eason for last year. There were a lot of injuries. They went in thinking there was going to be four guys starting, and then in most games it was four totally different guys starting. So uh, he was in a tough boat. But I do like the fact that they're bringing in a guy who was very successful last year with a team that overachieved with their talent. And then Troy Walters is now the wide receivers coach. He was the assistant wide receivers coach last year, so he's at least familiar with the players. And he had a long NFL career himself, so it's nice to have an ex-NFLer who's a good coach in there leading this great wide receiving core. Last thing about the coaching is they're bringing back the coordinators. I know a lot of fans aren't happy about that. You know, Brian Callahan wasn't calling the plays last year. He was instrumental in helping Joe Burrow develop, so I'm excited to have him back for another year. Lou Anarumo, you know, the jury's out. He's, he's done some good things. He's done some questionable things. But the fact that they're going to keep him around and bring him back, maybe it brings some consistency to that defensive scheme. You know, hopefully we take this step forward and become, you know, a top 10 defense in this league. All right, on to some accolades. So Jesse Bates was an all-pro selection. Unfortunately, it was a second team, but still, all-pro is an all-pro. So him and Jamal Adams were second-team players. And then the first team was Minka Fitzpatrick, Buda Baker, Tyron Matthew. You can't argue with any of those guys. I mean, Baker had a really good year. So I would have liked to have seen Jesse Bates get first team. I think he deserved it. But it's still really good to be on the list with those other four top-notch safeties. So congratulations to Jesse Bates. Next year, you're going to be number one pro bowler, number one all pro. The rest of them can be your alternate because if you keep going on the path that you went on this year, sky's the limit, my friend. 
No Brandon Wilson, no Clark Harris on the All-Pro team. Again, when you're playing for Cincinnati, you have a little bit of a tougher road to get to be an All-Pro than some other teams. Cordell Patterson was the number one returner, and he had a good year, as always. But again, that's I think that's more based on reputation. Brandon Wilson, I think, had a better year. And then Andre Roberts from Buffalo was the number two selection there. No arguments, another good returner. But uh, where's Clark Harris on this All-Pro list? I don't get it. Gio Bernard won Team Good Guy from the writers that cover the NFL, and that's understandable. I mean, if you have ever met him like I have, then you see the way he carries himself. He's a good guy, and it's someone who's respectful to people, carries himself well, and that's Gio to a T. I'm, I'm really glad he had the year that he had this year, and that he gets some accolades like this for being a good person. You know, some past winners, Drake Kirkpatrick, another guy that I met, he was a really good guy. Chris Crocker. I'm just going back to some guys that I met over the years. You know, the one training camp I went to, I was like, he's the coolest guy of them all. He was like the most approachable. You know, some people just have that about them. You can just see on their face that there's a warmth to them and they're they're empathetic towards people. And that's how I felt when I met both Crocker and Gio and Drake Kirkpatrick. So there's been a list of players. I could go through the whole list that have been named to this award, but I just wanted to give you three that I've actually had personal contact with where I totally agree that those guys should have won that award. So congratulations, Gio Bernard. And Willie Anderson, he didn't make the top 15 cut for the Hall of Fame, but at least he's in the conversation. I'm hoping as time goes by, he creeps up that list. It's tough. There's so many good players in history, and there's such a backlog on getting these guys in, and you have to spread out positions. You can't, you know, you can't just put in five wide receivers one year. So it's going to be a long road, but let's hope that in the future, Willie does get into the Hall of Fame because he had a great career. I mean, game after game, year after year of like letting up no pressure against those AFC North pass rushers. We'll see what the future brings, Big Willie. So lastly, on to the injuries. You know, I'm assuming that Joe Mixon's going to be back full speed next year with that foot injury. Logan Wilson, I don't know if he's going to have surgery in the offseason, but let's get that cleaned up so he can come back and have a strong sophomore year as well. And the upsetting one was Trey Hopkins tearing his ACL in the second half of the game. That was a tough break on the last game when you get an injury like that. But he's got time to rehab, and he should be up to near full strength by the start of next season. And then it opens up some questions on what we're going to do on the offensive line. And that's a conversation for some future episodes. Even prior to the injury, and I know how much they like Trey, and he was also under Frank Pollock, so he's one of the guys that's familiar with him. I still felt that they were going to bring in a center of some sort, maybe like a mid-round draft pick, or maybe if some kind of free agent falls to them. And that's not an indictment on Hopkins, and it's not to say that Hopkins won't start next year. But that whole offensive line is going to get shaken up, and it's going to look a lot different than it did this year. So we'll see what happens with that as the months develop and the season comes around. All right, so that'll do it for the current headlines. Now we're going to move on to the first ever roundtable. I'm excited to bring in Sands and Tom and just talk about everything. It's going to be like the conversations that we have without being on the air. Normally I do some editing on and everything and get it all cleaned up, but this one I'm going to let play more just naturally so you kind of just feel like you're in the room hanging out with us. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this next segment. Welcome to the first unofficial Bengals Podcast Roundtable with Frank, Tom, and Sands. All right, we have a first on the unofficial Bengals Podcast. We're going to bring together the two biggest Bengal fans I know. We have Tom McLevy from the McLevy Minute and Sands from X's and O's with Sands. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, bud? 
All right, my friend. I'm really excited to get this off the ground and get this conversation started. Sands, how you feeling, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? All right, my friend. I want to ask you guys, how did this season make you feel? Not analytics, not anything like that. Just how did the Bengals season this year make you feel? Tom, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it uh, has to be felt as a new era with Joe Burrow. I personally felt better than the Carson Palmer time. I I feel Burrow's a better quarterback and an elite quarterback. So, of course, you got to feel good of what they're doing. You know, with Zach Taylor still being there, it's still Mike Brown pulling the old, I'm not paying for a coach. But you have to feel good with what they're what they have well excellent that's positive thoughts for the future Sands what are your thoughts give me your opinion on how this season made you feel I mean it started great until the borough injury I'm still not down or anything about our future I've been probably the most optimistic we've been about this team since after 2015 so I mean we could be a playoff contender next year we look pretty good we need a few more pieces around I'm sure we'll discuss that but just made me feel pretty good. I mean, first time in about five years that I got really excited pretty much about every game, at least when Burrow was here, even the Steelers and Ravens games. Without a doubt. I'm glad you guys both have optimistic views of everything. As far as I was concerned, when the season started, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I didn't I didn't know how good or bad Burrow was going to be. I mean, I believed he was going to be good from everything that I saw and had heard and read but it was a matter of him putting it into action in the NFL. When you actually saw that the guy could play, I was like, whoa, this is going to be a good year for us. This could even be a 500 year for us, maybe even better. You know, I'm always drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm always thinking positively about the team. And then obviously the injury made it crash and it just got really ugly after that. We had a couple bad losses and the offense was, wasn't putting up more than like a score a game for a couple games. So it was a real roller coaster of a year. It was a pleasant surprise that we had Burrow. But then once he went down, it was a real disappointment that we couldn't pick it up as a team and play better. I know we played good at the end, and I'll take that. But that's the best word I could use to describe the season would be a roller coaster. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And if we want to talk specifically, I mean, the very first game, yeah, I was nervous because you never know how somebody's going to turn out. You can hear everything and see how they're doing in training camp and all that. But until they play in a game, I mean, you really don't have a feel for how they're doing. And it felt like with Burrow week one, it seemed like there were training wheels on. Joey Bosa was destroying everybody on our offensive line. And I was like, oh, God. But then there was that final drive he had. And I was like, oh, we've got him. We've got the right guy. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, I still feel if this offensive line can get shuffled into a, a better group, uh, that offense is a playoff offense. Depth on this team is another uh, another thing to, to consider. We're, we're lacking in it. You know, that goes against Duke Tobin. Defense needs work, but... You know, offensively, this team is a playoff-caliber team. And you know, Tom, that brings me to another question I wanted to ask you guys. Let's talk a little bit about the front office, the coaching, you know, the upper level of management. I know, Tom, you have some complaints about Mr. Tobin. How, how do you feel, Sands, about, about upper management at this point? Well, 
know, Mike Brown again, although he changed his colors last off season by spending money, it's going to be interesting, you know, with the COVID thing of how or if he is going to spend money this off season. You know, we wanted changes, but Mike Brown again, you know, chose that I'm not going to pay a coach, you know, sit home after I fire him. So he's going to, you know, rule with what he has uh, one more season. There was no way he was going to fire the defensive coordinator due to the fact that nobody would have taken the job because pretty much, you know, they know that Zach Taylor's a lame duck that he has to produce this offseason or, you know, hopefully he'll, he does produce, but if not, he's probably going to be fired. So anybody, you know, with any credentials on a defensive coordinator side uh, wouldn't take the job. So hopefully that the, the front office puts a, uh, a fire under the, these coaches and Duke Tobin that you got to produce in this uh, draft this year. Hopefully uh, Sewell is there, that they can just take him, plug him at left tackle, and move Jonah Williams to wherever he's stronger in. Um, Sands will know more about that. But, yeah, I, hopefully that they're all on the hot seat this, uh, this coming season and not waste the talents of Joe Burrow. Now, Tom, I knew I could count on you for some front office stuff. I know that's your specialty. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the coaching staff in general, what they should be doing, maybe the hiring of Frank Pollock, the job that Zach Taylor did. If you can, just give me some opinions on that. And, Tom, if you get, have any points on that, definitely feel free to interject. Yeah, starting from the, just the top with Zach Taylor. I mean, I've been on this podcast, and I keep saying this. Like, it feels like the same thing where you can tell he's inexperienced with his play calling and everything. We still don't – we're still not like – I don't know, I don't look at us and I see, like, this is what we do. We base everything off of this one play, and we have looks off of that one play. Like, the Rams, they run that outside zone, wide zone, and everything comes off of it. They run the boots off of it, the leaks, and they just beat Seattle running everything off of one play, basically. I mean, there's a little bit more, but when it comes down to it, they have, like, five plays that look like one play, we don't really have that. We have like one play that looks like one play and then we move on to the next one. We've kind of <laughs> become like a mixture of LSU and the Rams just from Zach Taylor's experience and then Joe Burrows. It's inexperience, so it's not something that I'm like, oh, he could never improve. And I don't think he's the worst head coach, but I don't know. It's uh, I wasn't surprised he was brought back because I kind of expected it. I think we were expecting him to start off kind of slow being as inexperienced as he is. The one I was surprised that came back was Lou. I, I didn't really get to talk on a Week 17 review or anything, but my God, he gave up 400 rushing yards, and the whole reason he did it was because he stayed in two high safety looks the entire game. Sands, I, I mean, saw that. I saw when you did that breakdown on social media. I, I you know, when I, was, when I was watching the game, I guess I was too caught up in the moment, and then when I rewatched it, I wasn't really analyzing the, the defensive looks. But to be in too high safety when they're just running every play, that I, I mean, that's that's like a, a, a sin. Yeah, so I got some numbers on that, too, just asking. Uh, I had somebody I could ask about it who keeps track of that. Uh, we ran quarters or cover four too high 10 to 15, I think it was uh, 15% of the time throughout the year. 
in that game, we ran it 56% of the time against a team that runs the ball the most in the league. It just made no sense to me. And the only guy that, the only two guys that I feel comfortable running that type of stuff with is DJ Reader and Mike Daniels because they can steal back a gap or two gap. Basically, they're doing two people's job because they're both really good in the run game. And they were both out. We were trying to do that with Christian Covington and Xavier Williams. Yeah, that was ugly. That was almost like he was on a mission to get himself fired, and it, and it actually didn't work. <laughs> yeah, when when we came out in the second half and we were still doing it, and we already gave up, I think, 200-something rushing yards, it was like he knew he couldn't get fired. He was just, yeah, we're going to play two high quarters, and who cares? We won't get beat throwing deep, I guess. We still got beat throwing deep because when we played that one play that um, I think you mentioned uh, LaShawn Sims got beat on. It really wasn't his fault. Uh, it was cover three, and the deep middle safety was Von Bell because we tried to outsmart ourselves and play Jesse Bates underneath and Von Bell deep. Von Bell took the eye candy of Mark Andrews, and there's nothing he could really do. He thought he had uh, help over the deep middle of the field. He did a weird spin. Yeah, he but he, he was covering no one. Sands, I'm like... For him to do that outside spin and then, like, kind of let up on his guy for a second, like, I know he thought he had help, but there was nobody else on that side for him to worry about. He should have just followed that receiver. Am I correct? Yeah, no. Usually when you play cover three like that, it's a man on deep. Once they get vertical with you, you're running man-to-man with them. But you're usually going to play outside trail and underneath and let the help in the middle of the field play over top. And he didn't have the help. He didn't really play great outside trail either, but it wasn't 100% on him. I'd say a lot of that was also on Von Bell. So I'm surprised Lou's back. I really don't hate his scheme. I know some people do. It's modern. It's what a lot of people are running. And when we have Jesse Bates playing middle of the field 80 85% of the time, his cover three, cover one stuff is great. It's just when... He does stuff like he did week 17. He starts outsmarting himself. I don't understand it. Well, but also... Say, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. You can go on. Well, what were you going to no, say, Tom? I, I just, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, like oh, he yeah. said, 400, uh, 400 yards rush in the last game. You know, Zach Taylor, what, six and whatever he is in uh, two seasons. The numbers speak for themselves. And the scary proposition is, is Mike Brown... Mike Brown is sort of okay with what's happening. There's no depth, like I spoke about earlier. Or, you know, the defensive line, they were trying to find guys on the street to, to finish the year. True. So, um, you know, you have to really, hopefully that they were read the riot act and, you know, have to produce this season. Yeah, I think they should definitely be on the hot seat, both of them. Uh, I mean, if Taylor gets fired, there's no way we would keep Lou Anarumo. But um, with the Bengals, he might he might be the next head coach. <laughs> I think the fans would riot. I think I think they have a pulse <laughs> on the fans a little bit that they won't do something like that. Yeah. The one thing I was am excited about is that we got rid of Jim Turner and we have Frank Pollock now. Who mm. one guy did a study looking at sack rate, pressures, and tackles for losses. And he was the fifth best O-line coach in the league in 2018. 
And, and the guy is great. I've listened to him talk in clinics and stuff for 45 minutes an hour long time before. I think he's great. I think he's smart. He's probably one of the top five or six offensive line coaches in the league. So this was a really good hire. I know it's a retread from 2018, but we should have never got rid of him. And, you know, list, looking at the, the Twitter feeds on uh, the players, you know, Joe Mixon led the NFL in Russia when he was there. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're excited that to, to get him back. And once again, why was he let go, you know? I think Taylor might have just wanted to bring in his guy and Jim Turner, which terrible move, but we got him back. So Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, Turner and Taylor were together in Miami, if I'm correct. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's where that goes. Okay, well, yeah, because I was wondering why they get, got rid of Pollock as well, because he had such a good reputation. And then I was I was wondering, was it because he just had those great players with the Cowboys was why he was considered a great coach? But from what you guys both cited, the fact um, that he was number five ranked and the fact that Joe Mixon was number one in the league, it kind of does reinforce that he is a very good coach. So I'm going to be on board with getting him back as well. Let's move on to the offense a little bit. Let's talk about the offense from this year or any thoughts about the offense moving forward. Tom, what are your thoughts on what you saw this year offensively and possibly moving forward? Um, like, like I said earlier, the specialty positions, wide receiver, running back, quarterback, were set. Um, tight end, lacks, and of course, offensive line. But sure up that offensive line, with uh, Frank Pollock and the, the draft picks, maybe a free agent signing. This is a playoff caliber offense that will do damage next year. Sands, what's your take on that? Yeah, I pretty much agree with Tom, I think. Uh, a lot of people want to look at getting another big-name weapon or drafting one at five. And if Sewell's gone, sure. I don't think there's another offensive lineman that's close to him in terms of talent based off of just a little bit of research. I do think we need to at least get two or three offensive linemen, whether that's through free agency. And I'm really leaning more on three, especially because Trey Hopkins might not be ready to start the year since he tore his ACL week 17. So we're down to one, maybe two starting level offensive linemen. And we only had one other one in trade, in my opinion. And you always want to have, I think, six starting level offensive linemen so that because somebody's going to get hurt. We got to probably bring Spain back. We have to have a plan at center if Trey can't start the year. If it's Price, it's Price. He played his best year under Pollock. It was when Turner came in, he didn't, he seemed to regress. There's free agents, David Andrews or Corey Lindsley are both fantastic talents in, uh, New England and Green Bay, respectively. Joe Thune, another New England guy, I think is available, and Brandon Scherf for the football team. Also a really good, talented interior offensive lineman. I think we'll plan on drafting a tackle because I don't, I don't see one worth paying up for unless we spend $20 million to get Trent Williams. <laughs> I think he stays. But I don't want to pay $10 plus million for like Alejandro Villanueva and then one of them, either him or Jonah, has to kick the right tackle, and I think Jonah's a better player now. I don't know if Villanueva's truly a starting-level talent. I think he's kind of hit by the Pittsburgh scheme of getting the ball out in two seconds, and his run blocking has been lacking for years. But yeah, I think the focus on the offensive line, I mean, an upgrade at tight end, not the worst thing. I'd be for it. Uh, I think Drew Sample is 
who we wanted him to be, and he's probably still not worth that second-round pick, but he's a good blocker now, and he's an okay pass catcher. He's got a pretty good set of hands. He just doesn't really do anything dynamic. Wide receivers, we're only really bringing, like, two important guys back, uh, Boyd and Higgins. So we need a third guy, whether that's just some cheap free agent or a second, third-round pick, or even if it's Jamar Chase at five, sure. We'll be really stacked at wide receiver if that's the case. Only thing we don't need to add is quarterback or running back. I think we have all that on the roster. Yeah, and I think with with a quarterback like Burrow, you can get away with a couple second tier wide receivers. And I'm not just I'm not saying that. I know I want to get the highest quality players that we can, but there's no reason why he can't get some speedster third round pick and utilize him. Because remember, we do have Auden Tate in the mix as well too. I don't know what they're doing with Erickson, but there there are options there. You know, Boyd and Higgins is a good one two punch. You get in another couple role player guys in there, and I do think we do need that that pass catching tight end still like you know if Sewell is gone and we grab Pitts that that could be huge it might not be like the greatest building block for the immediate but now you kind of have that elite pass catching tight end there then you know a year down the road you had another big time receiver the next thing you know you know you're the top offense in the league I don't know just my thoughts on it that's what that's exactly my thought remember when Joe Burrow was at LSU that championship year Moss was the tight end, and, you know, he was putting up numbers in that championship game. So a true pass-catching tight end, and if Sewell is in there, Pitts would be, I mean, just looking at him, Pitts is sort of like the guy we hope the Eifert would turn into, like that wide receiver tight end type. So uh, I'm on board with uh, grabbing Pitts if Sewell is in there. And yeah, also, I'm, agree uh, with... I'm sorry. And also, I get scared of New England linemen. You know, that's like sort of a like a, that's what they run. They have their own scheme, and then when they get big time money, that's why New England doesn't like to sign them after a certain period. I mean, ask the Giants with their uh, signing of. Uh, that New England Patriot lineman, they gave him mucho dollars, and he was a bust. Yeah, so soldier. I get scared of uh, New England players. I will say that I think that was more true back when Dante Scarnecchia was our offensive line coach because he was the best offensive line coach, one of the best in history. So he could really make them look better than they are. They're, they've got a different offensive line coach now. It's two guys. Um, I can't remember their names, but it's not – it's not them propping up um, lower talents. It's I, th- I think these those two guys are actually really good players. But, I mean, it, you could be right because the track history isn't great. Um, with Kyle Pitts, I think that's a really good draft pick. I mean, once Sewell's gone, there's like seven guys that I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> you yes. know, I, it's kind of like a tear break where if Sewell's there, that's who I want. And if he's not there, there's like, Pass catchers, uh, yes. linebacker, sure, all fine with me. Yep. Um, Kyle Pitts, we run so much empty, but um, a lot of people say five wide for empty, which is fine as a synonym, but really our empty is usually 11, 12 personnel. Uh, Joe Burrow's first touchdown pass came off of a 13 personnel empty look, which is one running back and three tight ends, and we had two tight ends run vertical routes, and the running back ran a little drag route from the outside 
We only have one wide receiver on the field for that play. Yeah, that, um, that is so pretty think, clever. Oh, I'm sorry, Sands. Continue. I'm, oh, yeah. I yeah. think with Pitts, we could get creative. If we can't use Kyle Pitts, who's like an athletic freak and a great pass catcher, I think that's an indictment on whoever's designing the offense. It's not an indictment on how he is doing. One of the hottest plays in the league right now is this YY Verts, which is two tight ends. One goes straight vertical, and the other one goes out and up, which is actually what Burrow threw that touchdown on. It's a Kyle Shanahan thing. Sean McVay's used it. All the hot offensive coaches are using this play because uh, you mean you get two tight ends running vertical. Who's matching up with them? Usually when you play two tight ends, the defense is going to come out, and they're going to have to play three linebackers to match up. And then off of that, with our empty, one, I think it helps pass protection because when you're in empty and you have one tight ender, nobody on the line of scrimmage with you defenses know you have five guys and we can send six we can confuse them we can do whatever we want but once you start adding a tight end at the end of our uh, two tight ends at the end of the line it's like okay we can't really do everything we want because these guys can pass protect it's kind of like when you have the running back in there and a tight end in there so i think it would help our empty i think there's a lot of cool stuff we can do with it i know some people are going to talk about the value of a tight end at five I'm in between on it because I, I don't really see Pitts versus Chase versus Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle. They're all great players to me. Yeah. Whoever we take, we just have to trust is the best available for us. Um, yeah. Because really, when you look at wide receivers, how much are they going to do the rookie year? I mean, I didn't think T. Higgins was going to do a ton of his rookie year, but I still believe in A.J. Green. He proved me wrong. <laughs> Almost should have gone for 1,000 yards if Burrow was healthy. He looks like a number one wide receiver, and Tyler Boyd's probably the best number two wide receiver, one of the best number two wide receivers in the league. So we're going to add another number one wide receiver, and we're just going to be one of the most talented wide receiver groups in the past five years or something in like a year or two. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's fine, but as long as I do think reach. it's a bigger upgrade for Pitts over Sample or uh, Uzoma off of an Achilles tear than it is for us to get a wide receiver in there exactly as long as they don't reach for an offensive lineman which they've done that plenty of times in the past just take the best available athlete there at number five yeah um, well, i they... don't even trust them draft uh trading down i don't even trust them doing that just take whoever they feel is worthy at five and just plug them into offense defense and it would be better if we weren't such in a dire spot on offensive line. So if we do sign Brandon Scherer for Joe Thune and we have now three, four quality offensive linemen, you can hide one bad one with sliding yep. the offensive line that way. Or if it's a tackle, you can chip on that side pretty much every play with a tight end. So you can hide one bad guy. It's better not to have a, a bad link on your offensive line, but you can hide it more than you can hide two or three guys that are not doing well so we need to feel like oh we need to take offensive lineman here yeah 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 good point and you know what moving on to the offense overall we saw when burrow was in there all these guys were on pace to put up really big numbers i mean boyd was going to go over a thousand higgins was going to go over a thousand if mixon was healthy imagine the year that he would have had in there with burrow so um you know just to reflect on the year that passed you saw the potential for everyone. I mean, he was get, you know, Uzama had the the touchdown in that big game right before he got hurt. 
it was like Burrow was making all these guys excel. You know, one more, Mike Thomas. It looked like he was going to, you know, have 40, 50 receptions this year based on those first few games with Burrow. That was an encouraging part about this year and an exciting thing to watch. And I felt bad for the guys when Burrow went down. If you remember the broadcast from that, from the Washington game, it almost looked like Boyd and Higgins were going to cry on the sidelines. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm being totally real. I saw their faces and it was like, they were like, wow, we just lost our guy. And wow, we just lost our numbers. And wow, that probably is going to cost us money in the long run and possibly yeah. records, you know? I agree. Yeah, and I think, obviously, you're going to be closer to your quarterback when you're a wide receiver that's playing with them like that. So you never want to see somebody go down. You never want to see your young quarterback go down as a leader of the team. More than just the money, actually, which I kind of agree. Yeah, uh, Tyler Boyd probably has some incentive in his contract for hitting 1,000 yards or making a Pro Bowl, and he didn't stand a chance once Burrow got hurt. So true. And plus, with the backup quarterback situation, I mean, that's again, this is a Zach Taylor draft pick, Ryan Finley, and uh, they bypassed him to take uh, Allen to be the starting quarterback. So you know, like moves like that are really confusing to like what's going on truly in this organization's upper management. No, yeah, I... we didn't really talk about it, uh, but I think backup quarterback is almost something we need to look at, whether it's going to be a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Brian Allen had me fooled for one game with that Houston Texans game. He looked really good. But other than that, I mean, he wasn't really a backup-level quality quarterback, especially Week 17. Yeah, and that's what I wanted uh, to Ryan ask. Finley, I think that experiment's done. I don't know if he's great at doing things outside of the football field, like getting film ready or prepping with the starting quarterback or running scout teams, but he just, yeah, we, that, that, out, we, we ran the slowest uh, zone read based offense in history. I think that that win against Pittsburgh was more of how bad Pittsburgh was than how good uh, Finley was. Yeah, it was yeah, an, 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 it was an intensity thing. For some reason, we just came out so fired up that night. And it, I don't know yeah. if it was because of Juju dancing on the logo. There was just something else in us that night. You know, you get a couple early breaks, you get that momentum. I think that's what really happened. And then once the hit on Juju happened, you you explained that, Sands. It looked like that just opened the floodgates for our guys to tee off. It, I mean, that was a beautiful game to see, and something that we all deserved around Christmas time as Bengal fans. <laughs> Um, you know what? Let me let me just go rapid fire on this. Just a, a real quick answer. And what do you think about the backup position, Tom? Backup quarterback. Is it going to be Allen? Is uh, we obviously know it's not going to be Finley. He might not even be in football next season, unfortunately for him. But Tom, is it going to be Allen? Or are they going to bring in a veteran? They're probably going to stick with Allen. Sands, your thoughts? I think they're going to stick with Allen. I would bring in somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick, just because I don't want to have to rush Burrow back. And I'm going to double down on that and say I don't think Brandon Allen should be the backup quarterback next year. Make him a three. Make him an emergency COVID quarterback if that's still, you know, needed next year. But they need to get a two in here. And, and Tom, I almost think you're right that they're not because you know how – Exactly. I Like somebody like Sam said, Ryan Fitzgerald, that man is going to choose the highest dollar. And the Bengals just aren't going to be in that – situation to pay a backup um there's always a backup that's cheap like james winston just signed for two million dollars or something andy dalton signed for like three million dollars four million dollars there's always somebody out there that's lower than what the 
market thinks he is. It might yes. not be Fitzpatrick, maybe it's somebody else, but I think there's always at least one guy that you can get in there that's yep. lower than start, starter level, but can keep the yep. ship afloat. I agree. Are we going to need a quarterback to start the first handful of games because Burrow's still rehabbing? Or I mean, I know none of us have the crystal ball where we can predict when Joe Burrow's going to be back. But what's your gut feeling? I, I feel like he's going to come back week one and they're going to rush him into it. But I would like to see someone else come in for a handful of games and give Joe another month, month and a half to heal. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? We'll start with Sands. I think he's going to start week one. Everything I see is going to be that he's ready for week one. The thing is that if he wants or needs an extra week or two, I don't want to feel like we have to rush him in because we don't have the backup that can keep this ship afloat. I think he's gut feeling he's going to be our starting quarterback week one. Tom? I just hope that they don't rush him. And, you know, hopefully we get a, a full training camp, preseason, um, et cetera, that, and they go – Say they say Allen's our backup, give him plenty of reps. They had him starting, and he threw to the first team wide receivers like one day before that start. Hopefully, that they first number one come to an agreement on the backup, and then two with a full training camp, let him take most of the reps. But hopefully, Joe Burrow will be ready to go. No, that that's logical, Tom. I, I actually I believe that Brandon Allen probably would benefit from a full training camp as being the backup. To go back on what I was saying before, I don't know if he's a starting level quarterback even for a handful of games, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. But let's move on to the defense now. So first, Sands, the season that just passed, how are you feeling about the defense, the performance, and what are your projections moving forward for that defense and possible transactions? It's definitely below average defense, both in talent and probably coaching. I Like I said, though, I'm not opposed to the scheme. I think Lou, again, is another guy that you can see the inexperience on when it's whatever week that was, the second Browns game, and we run a cover one lurk protecting the middle of the field when they want to get out of bounds or to the end zone. That's just inexperience or staying in cover four and the entire game, I don't know if that's an experience. I have no idea what we're doing. Um, I think we were trying to help our cornerback since we were hurt there, even though we were hurt on the defensive line, too. So I, I feel very middling on it. I don't think there is really a shot at us becoming a great defense next year. Um, even with everybody healthy, even if we bring in a few guys, we've got to re-sign Lawson or we don't have a pass rush. Uh, if we let William Jackson go, we're worse at coverage. So we have to sign two high-priced high price tag guys. And then if we're going to look to bring anybody in, I mean, probably a pass rusher, I would think. I don't know who's available. Because I don't think we're going to really bring in any high-name pass rushers. Yeah, and uh, I don't think in the draft sense that they're going to be able to get a good pass rusher if they wait to like the third or fourth round. You know, we've seen that experiment before. Uh, I always feel you, you have to get that elite first or second round pass rusher. And I know there's exceptions, but... Unless they sign a free agent, and like you said, we don't even know who's out there yet, I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that problem. They're probably just going to ride with Lawson and Hubbard. You you agree, Sands? I agree. Um, what I would like to see is us bring in a new edge rusher, whether it's the draft or free agency. Not even have to be a high-priced guy or anything or a high draft pick. Could be a middle 
level draft pick. And I think Khalid Kareem looks like a fine rotational piece. Um, True. I think we should bring in another edge rusher because on pass downs, I think Sam Hubbard excels at his best when he can float around. He can move to a three technique in between the guard and the tackle where that like a defensive tackle spot for pass rushing. And he did a really good job with uh, Carlos Dunlap last year running stunts uh, with him. So I think if we got a third, I know you don't like it, but a third, third round draft pick as a, or even a second round draft pick for an edge rusher, it's one of our biggest needs. I don't think it's the first need we should attack because I think, I think with the offensive line, you're going to both protect Burrow and make the offense better. I think that's more important. Second, third round pick, we get an edge rusher who looks fairly promising, maybe like a good athlete. I think it would help our defense a lot. Even if he, even if we get an edge rusher who's a 10-sack guy, I still don't see us becoming a great defense just because I'd look at it and I'd see there's not many holes, but at the same time, provided we re-sign William Jackson, I would look at it and also say, I, I don't know, we got lose, lose scheme has to work perfectly and we need everybody to play up to or better than they did last year. And the linebackers, while they played fine, were probably losing binds. I think he was just a one-year deal. And we probably just want to run with the young guys now. He was probably our best run-stuffing linebacker. So we need one of our linebackers, all three of our linebackers, Gaither, Wilson, and uh, Pratt, to take a step forward in run-stuffing and playing the middle linebacker position. And just talent-wise, I think we're okay in a lot of spots, other than Bates. In Lawson, I don't think we're great in any spots. It's mostly just these guys are solid. They're good. And it's what you need. But when you look at teams like Pittsburgh, all five of their front is elite guys. It's like TJ Watt and then Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt. Everybody going down the line could be like a 10, 12 sack guy. I think at best, we're looking at an above average defense. And then, I mean, at worst, it's going to be again what it was this past year, where we were we're not we're not a good defense. All right. Before we move on to Tom for the defensive question, what if Mike Zimmer was the defensive coordinator for this team? Would could they be an elite defense? Just in in a word or two, what what's your thought on that? I mean, I think yes. I think we have the cornerback. Zimmer is a guy that could get the most out of anybody. He's a great defensive mind. I mean, that'd be moving from what I view as a lower end defensive coordinator to, I don't know, top one or two. (laughs) So yeah, I I think we have the talent if we had an extremely good defensive mind to make this into a great defense. So we just figured out it might really be coming down to coaching on the defense. Tom, what are your thoughts on the defense's performance from last year and moving forward, the plan? Um, Last year, the injuries, you know, really killed uh, the defense. Just listening to Sands, this, now this goes back to they retained the defensive coordinator. Now, say they fire everybody after this draft, after the season, now everybody gets fired. Now you got a whole new coaching staff coming in. You know, offense, you can, yeah, you can, I'm sure, look at what you have and then go off their strengths. But defense, like, you might have, like, round pegs and the defensive coordinator is uh you know they're square hole now now you're you know you got guys that you drafted signed a free agency now they're useless to a new defensive coordinator sometimes mike brown 
it's putting a lot of pressure on Zach Taylor to say you gotta you know you gotta win. There are some games that they look pretty good, other games they were just destroyed. So uh, the depth, of course, was uh, really highlighted in the lack of. But uh, like a guy like Zimmer, that would be if he ever got fired in uh, Minnesota. I'm sure Mike Brown will look at him to come coach, head coach the Bengals because of his motivating skills. Tom, I love the big picture outlook that you're going with there. You're you're exactly right. You know, if if this we're going to bring back the same defensive coaching staff for the most part, if they don't succeed, we're going to be starting over and there's going to be players on the roster that don't fit the scheme that are either not going to excel or be material to be waived from the roster. So it it could really be devastating. So yeah. we're probably looking at for this season hoping that the offense can pull along the defense. I don't know if there is yeah. an answer because I think Anarumo is going to be gone regardless unless they go to the playoffs next year. So, but like you mentioned, yeah. it could be a bad ripple effect there. Exactly, and we've gone through this year after year. And now the offense will be gelled, will be moving, and we'll have to get in shootouts. And then uh, by the time we finally get a defense going, the offensive guys are you know sl- are older. And you or the got league, that Joe Burrow contract. Or the league figures you out as well. You know, like we, we might have this rampaging offense for a couple of years, but the defense can't keep up. And then by the time the defense is up to par, everyone knows our offense, and now it's not as easy to just whoop people. But, uh, you know, that's all speculation, I guess. Exactly. Let's, uh, like you say, we're, we're dealt the hand that we were given through Mike Brown. So just hopefully they make the, the wise uh, choices for – influx of talent uh and like you say also you know they had the pass rush semi pass rush with carlos dunlap uh i know motivation is a a big problem with him but um you know i'm sure sands knows that sometimes maybe he wasn't used properly and that's what gave him the bad attitude towards uh lou so um Towards the defense, I'm going to say I think it's an easy way to look at our scheme where we have one of the rare free safeties, post safeties that can cover sideline to sideline from single high. So I think anybody who comes in should see, okay, we've got, I mean, by ESPN, the rangiest free safety in the league. We can play single high plus one in the box. And that's what defensive coordinators like to do, to be able, easy to stop the run. And then you have the guy back there that can defend like you have two guys back there. When it comes down to, like, how many guys do you want on the defensive line? How many do you want linebackers? That can all be different. I will say Carlos Dunlap seems to like to be in a three-point stance more often than he did in a two-point stance, even though he had a pretty good year last year. I'm going to say last year. 2019 was a pretty good year for him. 2020 really wasn't that great. But I don't think it was bad. And I think I think he gets frustrated because I think a lot of defensive coaches, he does that thing where – if he doesn't win immediately on a pass rush, he kind of backs up a little bit and goes for the swat, which is fine by me. I think that's great. I mean, you swap the ball down, that's like making a, a zero-yard sack or a stop at the line. I know yes. I know that Tom doesn't like that, though, right? I know that bothered you a little bit, Tom, that he – we've talked about it before, that he wasn't just blasting forward. I, I you know, I, it just goes back to my real angst of Justin Smith. He goes 
number four to the Bengals, and you know all he showed was like he was a bull rush. Then he goes to San Francisco and becomes the defensive player of the year. So you know I, we've seen this time and time again. Gunlap goes to Seattle, and uh, the first five games he gets like six sacks. Very frustrating to see that. And uh, now with the you know the Lou Lane Duck season, so you know hopefully we can turn the corner. I think I'm just speculating a little bit, but I wonder if that's why our defensive line coach wasn't retained was because it seemed like Dunlap left and he became much better. So you look around and you see guys are underperforming other than Lawson, Daniels, and Reader. They're doing a great job in the run game, but we weren't really using them on pass downs. And then you look at who we were using on pass downs and they weren't getting too much of a pass rush. So yeah. I think we wanted to look at a new spot there, maybe to find somebody that can get the most out of our talent. Cause that's the whole point of positional coaching is you have the talent there and now can you get the most out of it? We clearly weren't doing that since Dunlap left. It became the top 15 defensive end in the league. Yeah. You know, you bring up DJ reader. He's going to be big when he comes back next year. He was playing really well before he went down. So that's going to be a, a good adjustment for that. So with both of you guys, can I get a quick word? Is Geno Atkins coming back next year? Tom, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think like you say, he was hurt still. I think they gave me the vibe of like, we're moving on. So I don't think so. Sam's. I don't think Gino comes back. I'd be surprised if he does, both with uh, just a cap look at it. He costs over $10 million. And then I don't know if he wants to be here, to be honest. Yeah, it does seem like they were forcing him out the door. And I was, you know, before you mentioned the cap number, I was like, why are they doing this to him? He's a Bengal legend. You know, he may still have something left in the tank. We couldn't tell this year because he was obviously more hurt than we all knew for the whole year. That's why they weren't giving him any snaps. Yeah, I will say, I think on film, he looked like he still had it at times. We were playing him at the nose tackle one technique, and he was still able to take a guard and just throw him back into the quarterback on his, like, five snaps he got a game. Yeah. Yeah, and you wonder, I mean, if they're going to limit him to, just say they brought him back and, they, you know, they limit him to, like, 15 snaps a game or, you know, a little more than that, that won't justify that $10 million. So that goes along with what you're saying, big picture, Tom. Yeah, and it, it also shows what the season brought was like coaches had their favorites and coaches had you know their doghouse players and it just seemed that Lou Easton whoever it was you know pushed uh Atkins out yeah it felt it, this year felt uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you Sands. It, it felt like I don't know if it was brought from upper management or if it was coaching but you know if you think about it they got rid of Dunlap Atkins and Green. I, I don't think any of them are coming back. And those are three of our most productive players over the last, you know, almost decade. And you almost wonder if it was it was from management saying, you know what, we're going to move on from these players and save some money, almost like Bill Belichicki, and, you know, we're going to get rid of these guys right before their skills really decline. I, I don't know. I'm, Sands, what are your thoughts on, on that whole, I guess, conspiracy theory? I kind of, I mean, I kind of buy into it. Um, I think I think there's a disconnect there. With uh, I actually think somebody like the front office probably wanted to keep these guys around because they just know these guys are going to drive ticket sales. They can use them, uh, merchandise and jersey sales. Everybody loves these guys, 
So when you look at that monetary aspect, it's like, great, keep them. But then the coaches are like, these guys, their talent is going to decline. We need to look at getting youth in here because the coaches have a long-term picture. I think they knew they were safe for this year, for the most part, as long as they didn't completely really go like 2-14 and again. So I think they knew they were pretty much safe. So they want to look towards the future and what to do there, see what talent they have. While the front office didn't really... We don't trade much. I mean, us trading Dunlap was kind of almost a little... Not surprising because he forced his way out. Because that's what you have to do as a Bengal to get traded off the team (laughs) is become a giant problem for them. Thomas said that as well. Yeah, I know you you back those thoughts, Tom. Yeah, and, you know, if Mike Brown changed his colors a little bit, you know, with the other than spending money last year, like Sam said, you know, Mike Brown is all for all, let's sign our own. If the coaching staff got to him and, and really convinced them to say, you know, so let's move on from these guys, you know, Mike Brown will have changed his uh, stripes. And uh, like Sam says, he, he's all gung-ho for signing the old veterans and um, so you got to look at one positive that he is willing to change. Tom, one of the fun- funniest moments you've ever had on the podcast was when you talked about trading a player for a bag of balls, <laughs> you know, ba- a bag of footballs, obviously. But um, when yeah. when you think like, about, like, like Sam said, we very rarely. The, the, <laughs> I think the the best trade in the NFL history was uh, Pete Johnson for James Brooks, but. You know, that was a real long time ago <laughs> when trades actually happened. And going back to this actual trade, think about what they got for Dunlap, a seventh rounder. Yeah. And uh, B.J. Finney, who they, they couldn't – they got him on the field for one game. I, maybe he was blocking on, on extra points. I don't even know. But I guess that would qualify as trading Carlos Dunlap for a bag of balls because I don't believe in seventh-round yeah, exactly. picks. exactly. Uh, they, they got their seventh rounder, though. We basically caught him. Good point. Yeah. Um, All right, so before we wrap things up, let me get one more thought from each one of you guys. Just, you know, we we never get together like this, and for anyone who's listening to this, it's it's a good feeling to be able to talk to these guys. I I spend a lot of time on the air talking to Sands and Tom, and I spend triple the time off the air talking to Sands and Tom. In a a paragraph or so, Sands, you know, if you could say something to Bengal fans out there, or if you could, you know, recap anything that you want to talk about Bengal-wise, what would be a statement from you if we could get that? I think to look forward to next year should be fun with Burrow coming back, at least uh, once he gets going. I think it should be a fun offense, no matter what we really do. Even if we come back with the same personnel, Burrow's probably going to be better, I think. And I think we were a fun offense this year, really, other than the backup games and those Ravens and Steelers games weren't fun watches, but I think I think there's optimism to look at. It's going to be fun next year. I think we can. I think we should shoot like a general projection right now. Assuming we get maybe a guy or two, I think shoot for nine and seven. If that gets into the playoffs, it gets you into the playoffs. That's not necessary. Maybe it is for the coaches for their jobs, but I think getting to nine and seven would be great. Getting above five hundred for the first time since. I think 2015. Defensively, I don't think it's going to be a super great year. It could be better than we think, but I don't think we're going to be able to ride the defense like a lot of teams can. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun next year. Whether or not we uh, are a real playoff contender, we'll see. 
got to wait for the off season, see what happens, and then we can get a better look outlook on things. I just don't see us if we go six and ten or lower. I I think it's time to move on from the coaches. I love the take on that, Tom. Let's let's move on to your statement. But before we do, I like what Sands hinted at there. He's thinking you know, optimistically a nine and seven Bengals team, which I would love to see next year. And I, I agree playoffs or not, that would be a step in the right direction. Cause you know, the year after they're, they're going places. So Tom, let's start off first. What are you thinking for the record? I know it's hard to say without all the acquisitions and transactions, but what are you thinking for the record and what's your statement on the team? It's, it's looking positive in Cincinnati. You know, Joe Burrow will be leading this team. Listen, if Sands is correct, nine and seven, Zach Taylor will get a, a contract extension. I'm getting from Sands that I think they're two years away, but there has to be progress. There has to show that, you know, last year Joe Burrow was keeping them in the games. So uh, you have to win those games now. Uh, but you have to be positive as a, uh, as a Bengals fan to, you know, what they're building. We just hope and pray that Burrow's not jinxed with uh, injuries. But, um, you know, you have to be positive. Well, that's it. You know, think about it. The three of us bleed orange and black as much as anybody. And all three of us have an optimistic outlook for the future for this team. And I, I know it's based on Joe Burrow, but, you know, we're sitting in a good spot right now, I feel. We got a high draft pick coming. We have a lot of money to spend. It's kind of out with the old, in with the new, which could be good or bad. But we have Burrow. We have Higgins. We have Boyd. We have Bates. You know, there's a lot to build off there. You know, they're gonna if they if they draft smart, they're gonna get a good first rounder and a good second rounder. And now you, you maybe you have seven, eight guys as centerpieces of this team. So it's nice to hear both of you experts talk about your optimism for this team. So, Sans, I'd like to thank you for appearing on our first roundtable. May there be many more. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully we'll have another one of these after uh, maybe the draft or when we have a better look on things. 100%. Tom, it was great having you on, as always. It's fun to hear your voice. Yeah, it it was a ball this year. Um, You know, through the COVID, we we talked, and when you said you were going to start a podcast, I was first like, oh, you know, but... I, I had a ball, um, learned a lot, and, um, you know, the the sky's the limit for Joe Burrow, and, uh, we, you know, we talked about it, and we also learned uh, a lot about it, so it, it was great, Frank. Yeah, it's great having you guys on, and I know we're going to carry this podcast well into the future, and the sky's the limit, so, I mean, this is a great time, and to anyone who's listening we're going to probably end the podcast right here, but I could easily see myself talking to these guys for three more hours. So it's probably going to be a long night. So once again, thanks guys. And, um, you know, let's keep rolling with this unofficial Bengal podcast. Great. Great. Thanks, Sans. Yeah. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to continue with our off season schedule where we're going to bring in a lot of different segments, a lot of different guests, and just keep the ball rolling and keep talking about our favorite team. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to thank the Zedian Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Instagram or Twitter. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. 
Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.